Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from SafeAdeen.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, SafeAdeen.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeaddeen.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. Hello. There he is. Hey. How's it going, guys? Good to have you, Rodolfo. How are you? Good, man. It's been a while. It has been. It's your first time on the podcast, which is kind of wrong. We should have... Uh, I think you and I talk too much that we forget about the fact that other people aren't listening. Should have done this more. That's right. <laughs> How are you? Good, dude. I, uh, I'm recording right after this, uh, the, list, uh, the list show, too. <laughs> the what? The, the the new pod the Bitcoin Dar review yeah that's uh, that's gonna be a couple hours <laughs> well let's 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 begin by telling us more about that shill that to my listeners why should they care about uh, your new pod 
Well, nobody is really like actually reading the software updates and going through the actual Bitcoin project in, in proper length. And uh, we try to, to make it as boring as possible and give you what's, what's actually happening in Bitcoin instead of the news and the macro and all the, the crap that's completely irrelevant to Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, mean, uh, I, I shouldn't be saying this because you know, that, that's how I feed my kids. But it's true, realistically, <laughs> all of the macro crap is really irrelevant. Like there's a block every 10 minutes and there's a, a new bunch of Bitcoin that come along and fiat world will fiat, you know, that the banks will go under and money will be printed and... Uh, uh, people are going to get angry and people get on TV and demand that the central bank do this and he sh they should do that. They should pump my bags, not your bags, not your bags. You shouldn't be the beneficiary of uh, government policy. I should be the beneficiary of government policy. But Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin just continues to move along. And really, Bitcoin software matters a lot more. So, I mean, you know, obviously... Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll push back a little bit in order not to lose all of my listeners, but I'll say <laughs> that stuff might not matter to Bitcoin, but it does matter to you. You know, you still end up living in the uh, fiat world. And so you have to figure out how to deal with that. But yeah, so you're... I mean, it does it does affect the bags on a, ten, on, a on a local basis, right? I mean, you know, you see the price of your bags go up and then you see the price of your bags go down. But don't worry, the Fed is going to print and it's going to make the bags go up. It's inevitable. Yeah, but, you know, still, even with all of that, like, <laughs> I, I, um, with, with all of that, I, I, I still doubt that, in fact, uh, we are that connected to Fed monetary policy. I don't think it's clear that Fed monetary policy is that important to Bitcoin. I think definitely on the short run, you know, day-to-day -day price movements, you see the correlation. So the Fed says something that causes risk assets to go up. Then you see Bitcoin go up, yes. But in the long run, I don't think the correlation really has established itself because I think we had, you know, we've had crashes in Bitcoin before. Like a lot of uh, no coiners act as if uh, this last crash in Bitcoin somehow uh, revealed Bitcoin for being a failure and for having failed. When we've had crashes this big before, I mean, I still remember. You know, I still remember when we went from two thirty three to twelve dollars. Uh, was it twelve or thirty? Thirty dollars. You know, like if you think this is bad, uh... <laughs> yeah, was it? I think it was. <laughs> there's been there's been worse. Wait, it was thirty to two dollars, right? Thirty dollars to two dollars or something like that, right? No, so no, there, there were a few. There was a, a, a thirty three to about two dollars. Uh, mind you, in those days, like price discovery was not exactly efficient. Not that it is now, but at least it's uh, fast. And then uh, I think we went after was it after Silk Road we went uh, from two hundred and yeah two hundred and thirty dollars to all the way down to about thirty dollars. Interesting. Yeah, this was this is kind of before my time. I wasn't following the price very closely, but yeah, we've had bigger crashes than this. And the idea that um, you know the Fed yeah. killed Bitcoin with their monetary policy is ridiculous. Because not only have we had bigger crashes than this, but also we've had bigger crashes exactly timed like this one. You know, you get the halving and then you get a pump after the halving and then you get a big crash. So the fact that uh, central bank tightening happened around the time where the Bitcoin crash would have happened is still, in my opinion, leaves it an open question that whether Bitcoin really is that dependent on monetary policy. I think it is dependent to an extent. I think there's definitely something to be said for it in terms of the short-term price movement. But I think in the long run, you know, maybe 
maybe if monetary policy was expansionary during the last two years, I think we would have still had a crash. Maybe we would have gone a little bit higher. Maybe we would have crashed at a higher, uh, to a, to a higher mean, low. There is no way you can have a deflationary asset without volatility. Exactly. <laughs> it, 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 you know, like, you know, that's, you got fixed supply and you got people coming in, right? And people are going to come in and people are going to try to, to like game it as well, right? And, and we can thank the fiat maxes for attacking Bitcoin with crash Bitcoin only, uh, uh, instruments, right? Oh, let's add Bitcoin shorting, uh, 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 solutions on the CME, but no spot, right? Like, you know, it, it's, this is all designed to try to kill Bitcoin through the price, but it's not working. <laughs> it's, it's working great if you want to stack cheap sats. I mean, as somebody who's not looking, uh, for a short term quick buck, this is great because, you know, yeah, you can maybe, perhaps, I, I still doubt that they can get away with significant uh, suppression in any meaningful sense, but to the extent that they can, it's a short-term thing, and it just means cheaper sats for those of us who are stacking for the long term. So thank you <laughs> if you're out there. That's and if right. not, thank you anyway for not knowing <laughs> what you're doing. You know, uh, the best source of uh, cheap Bitcoin is traders, right? Yeah. Yeah, the traders are, you know, they give us the cheap sats. Somebody has to sell them to us cheap. It's it's not the yeah, Bitcoin. the liquidations. <laughs> that's that's what's given us all those cheap sats over the last uh, few months. That's right. All right, so you have been in Bitcoin for quite a while, and you've built an enormous number of highly popular products. We want to go over a little bit of your history, the products that you've built, walk us through them until you lead us to the most recent thing that you guys introduced, this amazing new uh, old BlackBerry phone that um, you're pretending has something to do with uh, Bitcoin. Um, just basically uh, <laughs> selling people old BlackBerry phones that they're gonna leave, they can leave in their basement and a thief could come in and not want to take it. Um, so tell us, first of all, how did you get started? The Bitcoin paper on the slash dot. Okay. You know, we, we bump into it. Uh, we were working other software unrelated to Bitcoin at the time. When Bitcoin didn't exist. Um, and uh, What did you do? Were you software or hardware at that time? We were doing software. Okay. Uh, there were two separate like company startups. One was a time series data search engine. And the other one was uh, make uh, like apps and other things. Trying to, to get into the app store. Yeah. And, uh, and then we bump into the paper and we said, this is idiotic. It's never going to work. Of course. <laughs> and then you go, you download the Bitcoin software and you go like, yep, no, there's absolutely no way this is going to work. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you start sort of like playing with it, you know, like, uh, you get some from the faucets and you sort of like start sending to each other. Uh, never really did CPU mining, even though it was about that time, just sort of like, Having as like a kind of like a back burner, kind of like little project you pay attention to and you try to play with it here and there. As I was joking earlier, I mean, like there was really like price discovery was IRC. There was a bot that printed the price uh, between trades <laughs> and and to buy Bitcoin in any amount that was not a tap, you'd have to go meet some dude at Starbucks uh, with your laptop and cash. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it was sort of very bootstrappy, very sort of, you know, just literally like, you know, when people joke that, you know, you come just for the tech, it was really just a tech. There was no, you know, you'd be, you'd be absolutely bad shit mental if you said that you already believed in it and, you know, bought a bunch just because you sort of somehow a genius 
Yeah, you had to be a little bit crazy yeah. to put any money into Bitcoin in 2010-11. Completely. I think Trace Mayer was the first one yeah. who, who publicly said, you know, like Bitcoin is store of value, you should buy a bunch and have it. Everybody else was like, you know, this is for payments. It's very cool, you know, like you can send to each other, nobody can stop you. And, you know, that's why all the dark markets started using it and all that stuff. Yeah, right? I think you, you look back at a lot of the early adopters and I I mean, it's perhaps... <laughs> I'm not. I'm, this is not a very nice thing for me to say, but many of them don't happen to be the sharpest tools in the shed. Um, they, I think, it takes it takes a little bit. It, it takes a little bit of crazy, proper crazy, to look at the mess that was the software in 2011 and think, "Yep, yeah, I'm just going to go put money into it." There was poker in it. I, I guess there was uh, the original Satoshi client had poker on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I think it was a different set of understandings and, and skills. Like, there were quite a few, like, sort of, like, brilliant people, but, like, you know, like, with a different sort of, like, idea of what they were supposed to be uh, and, and sort of, like, looking at the software, it's like, oh, this is very cool payments system, right? Uh, that's why, like, so many of the old guys sort of, like, were confused in the block wars and stuff too. Like there, there was a lot of people that carry that baggage, like like Roger Ver, for example, right? If you if you're long enough in the payments camp, I mean, and you're not somebody with like enough flexibility in thinking uh, to understand that maybe you know maybe you're thinking wrong, then maybe you carry that baggage. I mean, I did. I I started a payments like debit cards and payment machines for Bitcoin like 2013, right? Like. <laughs> It was dumb as fuck, but like you know, Bitcoin is for payments. Great, let's make payment terminals and debit cards. <laughs> you know. Like, All right. So what was that? What was that startup in 2013? What did you guys do? What were you called? That that was CoinKite. CoinKite, I think, was started in about 2012, uh, and uh, we started doing like a block explorer, which was uh, BTCLook.com, and uh, and then we're like, okay, great, this is cool. We understand this technically now, so. Uh, let's let's start building for it. Right? It's payments. Great. Let's make payment terminals and debit cards. From that, we were like, okay, all the wallets suck, so let's build a, a wallet system on the web. So we built that, and that became CoinKite.com, which was the web wallet. And then after that, we're like, okay, great. Nobody's doing the the backend for exchanges, so we started building that. And then we were the 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 backend for like Bitmax, Coinapult, and a bunch of like old companies for a little while. Uh, <laughs> you know, it just sort of like, okay, well, the next thing and the next thing, you know, and sort of like failing in many of them. Some of them were like, you know, like the web wallet was a little too successful and we were like, fuck this, you know, there's no money in this and there's only risk. We had about like, I don't know, like $4 billion worth of Bitcoin in the system. We're like, no, we're out. <laughs> Take but your money out, please. To be clear, $4 billion in today's uh, exchange rate, not $4 billion back then. There was no $4 billion. No, no, no. Back then. No, no, the, the, like there was, that's about uh, 2014, 2015. There was about that much. Four billion? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And we we're like, okay, great. That was like a quarter of all Bitcoin? There was, yeah, there was a lot of Bitcoin in there. And then we did the multi sig. That was about when the multi sig was already in. Uh, and then, anyway, so, so we're like, this, this whole thing of like creating essentially a crypto bank is idiotic. Uh, we don't want to be a centralized. A centralized service and system. So that's when we're sort of like, okay, let's uh, just focus on uh, self custody and and uh, hardware wallets and and you know 
the Open Dimes and the other stuff that came after. Yeah. So when did you get into uh, hardware wallets and signing devices and Open Dimes? Uh, I think we launched Open Dime in about 2015, 2016. Uh, let's see here. Uh, and then we had uh, Code Card come out, I think, in 2017 or 2018, around that time. And then just kept on sort of launching new versions of everything and sort of the clocks later and, you know, just evolving and evolving. So the first and evolving. Open Dime was 2015? Um, I don't, I don't keep track of these things, man. We don't look back. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> we just look forward here. It looks like it was May 2016 for the open. 2016. Line. Okay. Oh no, that's that's the official announcement. So yeah, we we, we probably had a few in 2015 out nice. already. Yeah, I think yeah. it's um. Well, I think Open Dime is the first bearer asset in Bitcoin, right? That's right. There, there were other things, right? Like it's paper wallets or... First, I, I, I tamper proof. Well, the, the thing is, all the other instruments, right? Like cautious coins and all those things, the maker of the thing could have seen the private key, right? So they were not really a bare instrument because there was trust that somebody else printed the keys and knew the keys. That, that, that's the reason why we made OpenDime because we couldn't trust those things, even though they were sort of great people, never rugged anybody or whatever. But... Uh, we we wanted to create a, a, a true bearer instrument for Bitcoin, right? Like, so the nobody knows the private key and possession is nine tenths of the law, right? And and I think OpenDime sort of achieved that. Oh, absolutely! It's um, it's one of the simplest Bitcoin devices out there, but it is one of the most powerful, and it's extremely useful for giving Bitcoin to newbies. If you want to give somebody new into Bitcoin, Bitcoin, the OpenDime is a very good way of doing it. Like, you just tell them, hey, look. This is this tiny little USB drive, yeah. and it has Bitcoins inside it. <laughs> and it's your job to figure out yes. how it works, and then you can have the Bitcoin that I gave you. I think this is great because once they touch it and they feel it, like it, it, it really takes away a lot of the mystery about Bitcoin. This is from my experience. When you're trying to explain it to people, and, trying to get, and the more technical you get, sometimes the more you lose people. Oh, then there's a blockchain, and every 10 minutes we make a block, and then um, Satoshi blows a horn and then we all get together and clap this is what it sounds like for a lot of people like why do you do this every 10 minutes why does your money need that why why can't you just have normal money it does sound crazy and it is crazy but you know it works <laughs> <laughs> it, it does, does harder mo- it does hard money nobody has a better way of doing hard money yeah and you know like in occurred to us like a, a few years ago that like you know like L2 sort of solutions only scale Bitcoin so far, right? At least what we have now. And and we're like, okay, great. Like, I mean, with Open Dimes and Sats cards, you can just like load these things and you don't need block space, right? People can just use them like, you know, a denomination to the device and sort of like just use them as payments. Uh, all without paying mining fees when the mining fees are high, right? Because it's going to be cyclic as well, right? For, for the block space demand. So... You know, when block space demand is high, just just give out your your little Sats cards and open dimes. It's it's a very sort of efficient way of using Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely, and it's um it, it's been remarkably reliable. So the, these open dimes people have had them for years, and they continue to hold on uh, to value. I, I've not heard many stories of people that have had their Bitcoin lost because it was stored on an open dime. Of course, you can lose the open dime, but it's not going to fall apart. In all these years, I think we only had two customers that like one drove a car over it and the other one sort of, I don't know what he did with it. Like it was all scratched up. They both sent us the devices. We took it to the lab and we took the coins out. 
So like, I, I think it's been pretty much uh, uh, 100% recoverability. There might have been one guy who was like fully, fully destroyed. Guy, I don't know what the guy did to it. I mean, like maybe he took a hammer to it. I mean, I can't help if you take a hammer to it. Yeah, <laughs> there is a limit to what you can do. But it's an extremely, extremely resilient device. And it's, it's very tiny. It's very strong. And I... I like the fact that it's, it's extremely functional. These are the sort of machines that I like. It's, 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 it's not made to look pretty. It's made to do its job, and it does its job. It just keeps the Bitcoin there, and it lets you know that nobody has seen the private key for that Bitcoin, and it allows you to store it. It's a great way for people to store a Bitcoin without having to deal with, you know, for, for new, new newbies and beginners, before having to figure out how to deal with private keys and how to store private keys you turn the problem of Bitcoin storage into a physical storage problem. So if you can, if you can, if you can maintain, I um, mean, if you contain your possession of a stack of cash or a, um, a gold ounce, then you can hold an open dime. I mean, can you imagine you go to a wedding or a birthday party or like, I don't know, like a family dinner? I remember this way, way back in the day. And you're like trying to convince people to like, you know, set up a wallet in their phone and because you want to just gift them money. Like, I'm trying to give you free money. Can you please do this amount of work? And people still refuse it, right? With this devices now, you know, I go to like, you know, weddings or birthdays, whatever. I bring some SATS cards with me. They're already preloaded. And I'm like, just like here, you know, if you can figure out how to get the Bitcoin out of here, that's your wedding gift. It, it, yeah. it, you know, like, that's it. Like, my job is done. This is, this is basically... <laughs> pretty much the the only gift that well not the only but this is this is my go-to gift just load up an open dime and uh, give it to people it works much better and generally like you know especially on a wedding <laughs> you don't want to be the guy trying to explain to a bride and groom <laughs> how to get into bitcoin and how to do self-custody right. they've got other things on their mind and generally you know like word of advice for new bitcoiners don't be very evangelical about it, uh, especially when people are busy with other stuff. Like, don't go to the restaurant and try and convince the waiter to get paid in Bitcoin. The waiter just needs wants to finish his shift, and he's just trying to be nice to you because you, you, you know, you're the customer. But he doesn't want to learn how to use uh, Bitcoin. Similarly, at a wedding, if you really want to do it, just give them an open dime. Just give them an open dime and then direct them to some video online that explains how open dimes work. And then they'll get it. I think just simply uh, like I, th I think that the, the easiest uh, leap to make in order to try to get to Bitcoin is just tell people, look, put all of the technical stuff aside. This is just another form of money. This is just like the dollar and the euro and the pound. And it's a form of money that's different because it's not run in the same way that those things are. But here it is. You can put it on a USB and it's in your hand and you keep it and it's yours and nobody can take it. Nobody will ever be able to print more of it. Nobody will ever be able to cancel your USB. Nobody will ever be able to you know, hack into it yep. uh, remotely. Nobody will ever be able to decide, hey, we're going to make a lot of Bitcoin to bail out people who are um, <laughs> missing Bitcoin. So that can help, can help it uh, get there. So congratulations on building such a wonderful product. Thanks, man. It's... Uh... It's yeah. what we do for fun. <laughs> Profit. All right. So then after the open dime, what was the, the first the first one you did was the coin kite, uh, right? The uh the, the cold card. Yes. Sorry. So so like it was it was the web was the web wallet. Yeah. So then then when we closed the web wallet, we're like, okay, great, we need the hardware wallet to store our own coins, right? And we, we sort of looked in the market and we're like, okay, well, we don't like any of the ones on the market. It was essentially like treasure and ledger. 
Uh, they're doing interesting stuff, but like, you know, it was not what we wanted. So, so we started building code card. We were just building for ourselves and we sort of like showed to a bunch of people in the, the community and people were like, okay, yeah, I want one as well. Uh, so we're like, okay, fine. So this is cool. We'll just make it into a product. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then we launched code card, which is like arguably one of the best hardware wallets in the market. It's like verifiable and open, but it also has a secure element. Now it's on its fourth version been in the market for for many years now and, and people really like it nice yeah and it's um one of its many advantages that it does not look like it has anything to do with bitcoin it looks like an old calculator you get for your third grade child and that's useful <laughs> the syllabus for my new online economics course principles of economics is now available on safedean.com the course will take place over 18 lectures each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every two weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September, 2023, and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book, Principles of Economics, as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard. And now I'm also publishing Fiat Food, Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health. And I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money, her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it. This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop, so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with an ice colored dust jacket on top. Go to thesafehouse.com and get yours now. Yeah, I mean, you know, a cool thing too is that because we have all the sort of like the, the pin tricks, Right, so you can set up like uh, trick pins that I don't know erase the device or add time delay. You know, if an attacker finds it, you know he's most likely to try a pin or two or something there, uh, and you can have the device just like wipe itself or break itself. There's a lot of game theory put into it, into like sort of duress situations, and you know, and then there is a lot of sort of like advanced things for you to protect the bitcoins when you're doing transactions, and you know, all the multi-sig stuff and. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's like, I don't know, like four or five years or more now of, of like a lot of effort put into, into something that, that is for Bitcoiners. It's a Bitcoin only device. It solves Bitcoin's problems, uh, in the Bitcoin way. <laughs> there is no shitcoin, uh, capacity in it from ground up, really. Like, it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, we see people trying to sort of like copy the source code and sort of thinking that they can just add some shitcoins to it. And it's like, good luck. <laughs> you can, <laughs> you're going to have to call the lot if you want to do that. Uh, and most of them can't. Okay. So give me, give me the, uh, sales pitch. I'm a noob. I've not used the hardware wallet. I'm new to this world. Why use a hardware wallet or a signing device as you prefer to call them? Why use a signing device in general? What's the, sales pitch there why should i use a signing device as opposed to other kind of uh, mechanisms so you know you use your computer for porn email and a bunch of other stuff it's going to fill up your computer with viruses right uh and if your computer has viruses your bitcoin is going to be gone 
I mean, it, it's like we see even core developers losing their private keys because they were on computers, right? And a hardware wallet is like a, a specialty made device just to keep your coins secure. That's it. So purpose, everything that goes into it in design. And if you do that, the chances are you're going to probably be secure. It forces you to have good security hygiene uh, just by sheer design, right? And it's going to help you set up your backups. It's going to help you do everything that you need to do. It sounds like huge and overwhelming, but it really just takes five minutes. Like, you know, it really is not that hard. You know, if you can, if you can do this, you can self-custody your Bitcoin, right? I mean, I think people forget what self-custodying cash or gold is like, right? Because, you know, they see people, oh, Bitcoin is hard or whatever, right? But like, if you look at what it takes to secure like a few hundred thousand dollars worth of gold or, or cash, I mean, you have to have a massive safe. You have to have like, like something to carry all that gold. Are you going to have like a wheelbarrow? You know, it's heavy. Uh, you're going to have to have like alarms, security, all kinds of things. And also you can't transport it, right? Uh, with cash is the same and cash burns, which is even worse. So, you know, if you put into account what it takes to do all those steps to self-custody gold or Bitcoin, sorry, gold or, or cash, you know, spending five minutes on a $150 device to have like bank level security of your Bitcoin is quite amazing. Absolutely. I think this is this is really the, the selling point for me. It's the idea that it's a computer that does nothing but Bitcoin. And it's just separates it from everything else. Because if you're doing it on a computer that does other things, the attack vectors are infinite. And you're engaged in like a, you're engaged in a Sisyphean struggle to try and uh, figure out all the threats and all the attack vectors that could come at your computer. And of course, you'll never be able to figure them out because every time you open your computer, you're downloading all kinds of different malware and viruses and uh, attack vectors. So simply have it on a device on its own is just making things far, far, far easier and separating that. And in your case, with the cold card, what distinguishes it from other signing devices or hardware wallets is that it performs all of its calculations on the device itself. You don't have to have it connected to the laptop, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It, it, does, it does everything in the device. You know, there is this term we have in security called air gap. It, it means that the device that you're doing things is not connected to anything else, right? Because you don't know if the device has a bug or if there is a, a, an attack out there that could be exploited via USB, right? So the idea is you're using this device without connecting to anything else so that you're protecting against unknowns unknowns, right? And that sort of increases further your security with a very trivial thing, which is just simply don't connect it to a computer. <laughs> I mean, like, it doesn't get simpler than that, really. And, and it's one of the most advanced methods of security. Absolutely. And you mentioned the story of the core developer who had uh, his Bitcoin uh, stolen. I think it's a wonderful example of this because um, sometimes the, you know, the more technical you get, the more competent you are, the more you think you can take on your computer when it comes to security. Like, yeah, it's my computer. I know I have the right programs to ensure that I don't get any malware. and I don't get this and I don't get that. I mean, sure, you might be a genius and there are a thousand attack vectors on your uh, computer. Maybe you all have been able to figure them all out. But all it takes is one attack vector that you haven't thought about. And in that case, you know, the noob that can barely uh, <laughs> open their own computer on their own, if they spend a few minutes learning how to make a signing device work, they are at a far... They're probably safer. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean Exactly. You know, when you look at when you look at like some of the people who who gets most screwed are people who are extremely smart uh uh like at computers because what they do is they overcomplicate their setup. They're brilliant. They create this amazing thing and then they die and then their spouse can't get the money out. It does happen. Uh or you know like they created this incredible setup, right? And then that one day they had a fight with their girlfriend and they stick into that air gap laptop, the wrong USB stick, right? Or, or there is like, they have a leverage position somewhere and they have to transfer some more, uh, a margin to it. Cause people do that. And then, you know, and they're stressed and you know, it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you're in a position where you're dead or stressed, right? You're going to make mistakes. So, you know, why open yourself to that? I mean, the solutions, everything has trade-offs, right? But but I think we arrived at a point now that, like, you know, not using a hardware wallet is, is kind of dumb. Yeah, I think I, I think this is really <laughs> the key point that there are trade offs to everything. You can mess anything up. So this idea that you know this is a foolproof method, nothing is foolproof. They will always build a better fool, <laughs> no matter how foolproof you make it. There's always a bigger idiot out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's always a way to mess things up. Yeah, I mean, and anything can be hacked, right? I mean, given an infinite resources and infinite time and infinite samples. But again, like, you know, like the Ledger guy spent like probably like near a million dollars trying to break our devices, right? Eventually you get in, right? But then we launch a new one uh, <laughs> with like more security and lenses learned, right? But if the device was not like connected to the internet and somebody's going to take a week to try to break it, like... These things become so mission impossible, crazy, right? That, uh, that like, you know, great. I mean, wonderful. You could maybe theoretically get in, but like all the other options are, are like orders of magnitude worse. So, you know, we do have something that's good enough. Uh, and, and I think like the market is responding to that. I mean, it's one of the best selling wallets that there is. So what do you think of the idea that, well, okay, I like the idea of an air gap device of a Bitcoin only device. But why would I use a Bitcoin-specific hardware from a company that is out there targeting Bitcoiners when I could also just use generic hardware? You know, like you can pick up an old used crappy laptop from eBay for $20, $30, and uh, then you can just use that as your hardware wallet. Like use it for nothing else, just use it for Bitcoin. And um, you could even, what you could do is, I mean, and, and it's really not expensive. Like one, these laptops are cheaper than uh, hardware wallets if they're used. You get it, you format it, you never connect it to the internet, you use it to generate the keys, and then you destroy the laptop. So your yeah. keys are produced on a laptop that gets destroyed. And, you know, you, you can really have fun destroying it <laughs> completely. And then... There's no way of there's no way of hacking into anything that has your private keys because your private keys don't exist on a machine on any kind of. Um... There is a million ways for you to get hacked that way. Uh, that is one of the ways that people do get screwed. I created this website called uh, airgapcomputer.com. There is a, a list there of, of common known attacks uh, just for fun uh, and enjoyment. There. Um, so here's the thing. Okay, fine. You went to. To, well, first, if you're getting the laptop from eBay, it's going to probably come with malware already installed that you can't take it out. Two is general purpose computers were not designed to hold secrets, right? I mean, you know, like eventually somebody can get it out. Three is you cannot 100% guarantee that the data was deleted, right? You're going to just essentially, you're going to have to like really believe that you destroyed every chip in that thing, right? Like maybe burn it or something, even then. And then 
And then there is the software stack problem. Okay, great. You have your your ultra, ultra, ultra secure laptop from from $100 from Walmart or whatever, right? You went in there, you took all like the chips out and, you know, you spent a week working on this project. Uh, okay, so great. So how do you install stuff on it? Well, you're going to have to bring software into it from another computer that might be compromised, right? Uh, you're going to have to trust the stack of that software and all the packages of that software. Okay, you're going to have to trust that the signatures match and also that your system is kosher enough to be able to check those signatures, right? You're going you're gonna to need to be ultra, ultra advanced sort of kind of person to be able to accomplish this safely, right? Or you could be just running an evil version of, of like Bitcoin software that you chose that is generating bad private keys. And now you might have a, a private key that's compromised and money gone, right? So you think... So you, so you think the problem is that, you know, you're downloading, say, a Bitcoin software wallet, then you move it, you transfer it, say, with a USB drive to the uh, Bitcoin-only computer, but then you don't know whether that software itself is secure or not. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe your computer has malware on it that went to that USB drive that has the software in it. And now you're just infected the new computer, <laughs> you know, like th there's many ways for that to happen. Yes. However, if that new computer is never connected to the internet. What if that malware essentially lies about random number generator? Yeah, that's, that's the real threat here. And it's not just one little piece of software. You're going to need a whole stack of it, right? You're going to need to have ways of checking signatures. So you're going to have to install OpenSSL or something like that. The package dependency hell is, is, is massive, massive. Right. And it's also like the worst part of this is that, you know, if you're extremely, extremely advanced person, then sure. I mean, maybe you get away with it. But like having normal people try to achieve this level of security with a general purpose computer and packages off the Internet, like is ludicrous. <laughs> you know, spend $150 and get a harder wallet. Like, why would you do the like it's it just it's one of those things that really makes no sense. Right. Yeah. It's, it's old advice. It's pre-harder wallet advice. I guess the to try and make the case for it, I guess the advantage would be that you know you're buying some crappy old Dell from eBay. Uh, there's thousands of these all over the world being sold every day. They're not being sold by people that are out there um, trying to figure out how to attack this thing in order to get Bitcoin private keys from it. You know, they're just being sold usually for. Some guy wants to get it for his uh, three-year-old daughter uh, or third-grade daughter to begin to have her first computer. So the, the issue with those is that they do come with malware. Like, it's very common. You know, the guy doesn't even know it. He's installing a pirated version of Windows on it or something. Uh, so, like, these laptops will commonly already come packaged with malware that's not designed for Bitcoiners. It's just designed to steal whatever you have. <laughs> or especially your information, right? So, I, you know, if you're going to do this, at least go get a new one so that the malware is only from Microsoft and only from Dell or whatever uh, uh, from Walmart. I, I would highly discourage people try to do Bitcoin in these in these used computers. I, I mean, it, it is it is not worth it, right? I mean, if you don't have enough Bitcoin that you're what you're trying to secure is not worth like getting more getting a harder wallet or something like that, then you probably just don't even bother with that. Just use your normal computer or your phone. Your phone is going to be better and more secure 
than all these laptops from from eBay or even laptops from Walmart by probably like a mile. Um, so use a phone wallet until you're ready because phones are a little bit more walled garden, right? Uh, they're a little bit tighter in terms of like how the software works and everything. I mean, are they still open? Yes. Uh, but at least, for example, with iPhones, you're only trusting like you only have to worry about Apple. And Apple is not stealing Bitcoin from random Bitcoiners, right? Yet, yet, no, exactly. But like, you know, if you don't, if you can't afford a Bitcoin hardware wallet, the amount of Bitcoin you have is probably okay to be in that iPhone, right? So, I personally, the way I advise people is, you know, the first thing they should do is get a phone wallet, right, so that they can load the the Sats card coins into, and then they start playing with the iPhone like in their, their phone wallet or an Android too. And then once they get more comfortable and they're willing to buy more Bitcoin, that's when you get a hardware wallet. Okay, so now we've spoken in general about the idea of a hardware wallet. Now sell us on the cold card in particular. Um, so so like it's, it's kind of like what I was saying. Like, I mean, cold card is, is a, it's, a, it's from Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners, right? Like it's, it's a hardware wallet that, that's truly paranoid. It's designed so that you can... You can Verify and not trust is designed so that we can't rug you and, and is designed to keep your coin safe. And if you follow the instructions and you keep this finger gap and you have a backup, uh, you're already ahead of the other guys, right? And, uh, and when it comes to security, it's kind of the, you know, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other guy, right? So, <laughs> you know, I, I find that, uh, that's essentially like the, the motif and how we designed this device. It's uh, its just better than the other devices in the market. Yeah, so I guess let's think of it this way. If um, somebody walks into your house, finds the cold card, takes it, what are their options? Well, exactly. I mean, like they're going to look at it great. I mean, they're going to try to turn it on. And, you know, if you have, you know, are you in the house? Is this a duress situation, right? Do you have a passphrase? You know, they only get 13 tries and the device breaks itself. So good luck with that. You know, maybe they take it away with them. So it's going to take them on the best case scenario, you know, probably a couple of weeks to try to get the money out if they have like lasers and labs available to them, right? So, you know, you have time to move your coins using your backup. You know, if you did this right, then you have a passphrase, then you don't even have to worry about that. But, you know, of course you should still move your coins out into a new device. You know, maybe you have a brick me pin or some of the trick pins set up. So when the guys try to mess with it, you know, the device bricks itself. Maybe you use the micro SD as a, as a two-factor authentication. So if they don't have it in the device when they turn it on, it bricks itself. Uh, and when it bricks itself, it raises the seed, right? So there is really nothing they can do with it. You know, maybe it has a timer on it so they don't beat you. If, if it bricks itself, your fallback option is that you have the backups. That's correct. But then, of course, the danger here is that if they just get their hands on the backup. Well, I mean, you know, again, nothing is without trade-offs, right? So you have to have that backup somewhere else. And ideally, what you do is you have a passphrase and a seed. And they're two separate pieces of metal and they are distributed, right? So you have them in two separate locations. So if somebody gets to your to your device and a backup, you know, good luck to them. They can't do anything about it. It's the same with seed XOR. There's a way to be able to split the seed. 
so that the backup is not a single point of failure. That's the idea. Yeah, this is, I think, very important because a lot of people think, you know, well, we'll, you know, um, we need to diversify to make sure we don't have a single point of failure. So we'll have the wallet and then we'll have the seed. But the seed then just becomes the single point of failure because, you know, the thief is not just going to necessarily go for the wallet. They might just look for the seed and then if they get the seed. So hiding the seed and being able to make it inaccessible um, while also having enough backups, especially if you have these options where the uh, cold card bricks itself, that makes the seed and maintaining the seed extremely important. Well, you know, most people will probably lose their Bitcoin to house fires, right? That's the reality. Like house fires are very common floods too. So, you know, like it's very important for you to have your seed in metal, right? So use a seed plate, put it in metal. Um, you, you know, it has a very high chance of surviving a house fire, especially if it's in a proper place of the house. And and the other thing too is like, maybe it's just separated from the house, right? I mean, you have the device in your house because the device will burn in a house fire uh, and you have your, your seed somewhere else, like we were saying for, for the robber. So it's not a single point of failure. And failure includes a house fire. So I, I highly, highly recommend people having at a minimum a metal backup and then after that having it somewhere else so that you have two locations where, you know, if something happens, you have recoverability. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And so, um, well, that's the cold card. Now tell us about the Q1, the new most recent device that you guys have come up with, the BlackBerry phone. What's the deal with that? <laughs> so, so it's not a BlackBerry. Uh, we have nothing to do with the company or the trademark. Well, what we built is, so a lot of our users have given us feedbacks through the year because they use very long passphrases. So they wanted a way to type very long text. Uh, so we wanted to give them a keyboard, a proper keyboard, like QWERTY, essentially like all the, all the, the letter keys on the, on the keyboard. Uh, so that's one thing that we wanted to do. Another thing is it's been 10 years, we're getting old. So some some guys now need bigger screens because they can't see the old code card screen. So uh, so bigger screen, uh, much bigger screen. And then the next thing is some folks want to use this device like a proper mountain man, you know, using uh, uh, store-bought batteries in, in, you know, under their, in, in the caves where they keep their funds. So we added AAA batteries to it. And it has NFC like the Mark IV does, and you can deactivate it as well. Uh, and it also has a QR scanner. People want to verify the address on screen without uh, too much fuss with the, the microSD cards. So there is a QR scanner as well. We, we think this is like the proper mountain man device. It's a device we've been wanting to make for years because we also want it ourselves, but the economics of the parts were not quite there yet. But I, I think we finally got it. Uh, and the device is listed at, uh, at 200 bucks. So it's like 200 bucks for a massive screen, QR scanner, batteries, and a good keyboard. Uh, and this should enable us to do a bunch of new cool things too, right? As Bitcoin scripts get more complicated and more things you can do, you have a bigger screen, you can type. Uh, we're looking at adding some password management to, to it. And oh, and you can also scratch off the USB data line so that you can be fully, fully air gap even by accident. It's off. Nice. And uh, when is this going to be available? So we're pre-selling now to get a sense of the, the market size. Uh, we hope to start shipping probably Q4, even though the device is called Q1. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, 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 maybe it gets delayed. Who knows? That's right. No, I, I, think, I think if we don't get rugged by any supplier or by supply chains again, I, I think we have a very good chance of shipping 
you know, near the like near the end of the year, a bit before, a bit after. But I I, I think people now know us for long enough that like you know we ship. Uh, it's gonna happen. Uh, and it's not because of us. If it, if it delays, it's it's because of like external forces. But uh, we already bought uh, most of the parts we need, uh, which is kind of cool too. Uh, the the delay could just come from making plastic, because it has to be done in China. The actual molds and you know, and and you have to do back and forths and you know, it adds time. But uh, but yeah, it's it's progressing well. Yeah, and as somebody who's involved in the actual industry of making things, which is extremely extremely rare these <laughs> days, because everybody's job is just uh, hitting keys at a keyboard. Would you say like all of this kind of supply chain disruption stuff? It's getting better these days than it was a couple of years ago, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So quality control is back to normal, which is a very important part. Because they started flooding the market back with parts that were not amazing because they were just trying to fulfill orders, you know. And and we test everything, right? Like we we make devices that are meant to last. But but you know, like we were not super affected by supply chains because we we manage parts very closely with suppliers and we already had parts. Uh, the problem was for new things, right? Because you still don't have a supply line for a specific part that's new to you. Things that have to do back and forth between countries are are not as fast as they used to be. They're they're much like closer to normal now, but they're still say twenty thirty percent slower. Still, China is not the country that it used to be. Uh, a lot of things come from there, even if it's just like chemicals that go to other countries to make things. And I don't think they're gonna get back there either. I think from for from then on, it's really just a slow grind for China to sort of just slowly become worse. Everything's crumbling there, right? Like it's it's, it's like the propaganda that they have is great, but like. Shit, it's really complicated there. And you can see because the suppliers are hungrier too for business now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You can look at like Toyota, for example, that doesn't skimp on QA and parts. Uh, they still like shipping very few cars compared to what they used to. So it's going to, I think another year, uh, if we don't have another another major collapse of economics or something, which is, it looks like we're going to have another one, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> but they're bailing out already. So, like, these guys are not fucking around this time. You're just going to bail out. Yeah. I think ultimately what it comes down to is um, I, I've said this before online on Twitter. The majority of people, their conception of government, most people have some kind of libertarian inkling to some level. You know, uh, every person is at least a libertarian when it comes to the things that they own and the thing that they know about. So, you know, it doesn't matter how much how much of a how, how much of a leftist you are. When it comes to your own business, suddenly you become a very capitalist person. Now, suddenly it's like, no, the government shouldn't do this. They should just let me control my stuff. And of course, do you know what, why? Uh, yeah. Well, it's because see. Source deductions is the biggest scam in the history of humankind, right? That's salary deductions. If you're an employee, the the company sends the money to the government. You never have to write a check to the government. As soon as you become a small business, you send the money to the government. So you immediately switch from socialist to to libertarian. Like it, it, it's like it's immediate. I know so many commies who become a business owner to sell their hippie thing, and then boom, <laughs> libertarian. That's true. Yeah, 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 very true, very true. But generally, I think the majority of people have some kind of inkling about the idea of why it is better to have a free market. But 
I think the vast majority of people, except, you know, the most, most extremist anarchists around this corner of the internet, among the most uh, extremist Bitcoiners, they will agree that, you know, yeah, libertarians, whatever, but, you know, when there's a crisis, when there's an emergency, that's when you need the government. So you don't want the government to determine the market for potatoes. Some will even go and say, you know, the government shouldn't even determine the market for interest rates. So that, that's like the end of uh, you know bravery for um, kind of libertarians. But still, you know, when there's a virus or when there's some kind of real emergency and crisis, then clearly we need authoritarians to put a gun to our head and tell us what's good for us. Because otherwise, you know, how would we know? Like, how would we know how to avoid a virus if somebody didn't put a gun to our head and tell us what to do about it? So I think because of this, because of this prevalent mentality, which is a product of the maleducation of modern universities, which inculcates this into people, that idea that, you know, when there's a crisis, you just piss your pants and stand there and wait for a big mama government to come and save you. It starts in kindergarten, right? I mean, like, people are just indoctrinated into statism, right? I mean, that's what schools do. I mean, you know, like in some schools, they make you get up and sing the anthem and, you know, do things in a certain way. And you're only allowed to go to the washroom when the teacher allows you to go to the washroom. And, you know, like it's all about making you a slave right from the beginning. May I please pee? Go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's insane <laughs> like that you need permission to take a leak. And of course, it's also it's 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 that the school itself, the school system itself, rewards obedience and regurgitation and deferral to authority, and it can't really handle original thinking. Look, we have a curriculum; you need to get through the curriculum. We don't have time for your uh, creative ideas. So it's 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 that's definitely very helpful there. But the key thing is that even with all the propaganda, most people have some sense of decency that gets them to have some kind of libertarian perspective. But that's where the emergency comes in. That's where the emergency comes in. And the point that I was trying to get to is this is why we find ourselves in a constant state of emergency every day. This is why every day there's a crisis. This is why all of the people you know who watch TV look like they've been hit by a bus every single day because every day they wake up and they watch TV. People and are so tells stressed. Them, yeah, the TV tells them, oh, my God, we're all going to die. It's a crisis. And <laughs> tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Now. But, but. <laughs> There is one way we can escape this impending doom and danger. More money and power in the hands of your government. <laughs> that's right. More government. Government to fix everything. Government is going to fix the weather now. So that's why, you know. I, yeah. Government is going to fix the weather. Yes. That's where we are. So we have governments as antivirals. Now we have governments as uh, weather control. You know, government is the, th is the control knob for the Earth's temperature. Just vote for the right people and <laughs> they'll set the temperature of the Earth. You know, just this massive 12,000-kilometer diameter ball, we can set the temperature by voting for the right people. If you wear your mask, it's going to stop raining. That's what I hear. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. So the point from all this is, you know, look, there's likely going to be more crises. Crises are extremely profitable and extremely, extremely useful. So hopefully doesn't get to that. But uh, there's a great book by Robert Higgs called Crisis and Leviathan. And I think it's, it's extremely useful in this context of the things that we see happening around us uh, these days. Why is the world always in crisis? Because people believe that a crisis is a great time for a government to do whatever the hell it wants. So guess what? All the people in government are always out there looking for crises, looking for the next crisis to scare you from.
Well, I mean, they needed a reason to exist, right? I mean, you know, if a bureaucrat, like, for him to exist, he needs more bureaucracy, right? It's like it's a self. It's like cancer, right? That's what government is. It's just metastasized. And and I think like what bothers me with all this is that like, you know, I don't think any anarchist or ANCAP or even like a, a non commie libertarian would disagree. Like, we need governance, right? Like, I mean, we still need ways of, of like, you know, deciding, you know, like, do you hang the guy who like raped somebody in some like region? You know what I mean? Like, do you, uh, you know, like who's going to build the roads through the farms, right? Like you still need governance, right? You still need to agree. You still need a set of rules you want to live by, right? That you voluntarily agree to be part of. You still need some way of dealing with some externalities within each other, right? And the denser the, the populations, the more externalities you're going to have to deal with. So, like, you know, like small cities versus the country. But, like, but it doesn't mean government. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean, like, a bunch of people who just essentially exist to feed the beast need to exist, right? And, and now in Canada, you even have the media being owned by the government, too. All the media, left, right, and center media is owned by the government because they essentially bail them out. So you don't even have free press anymore either. So, you know, it's... I think the cynical view of the world really has won. <laughs> you know, it's not cynical, it's reality, yeah. right? It's becoming difficult to be too cynical. I always used to be called too cynical. Now I'm just... Just normal. Optimistic, happy-go-lucky, realistic guy. <laughs> That's right. It's like, you know, I am very optimistic. The Fed is going to print a Bitcoin goes number goes off. You know what I mean? Like in the long run. It's just, they're going to go to infinity and 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 we go to 21 million only <laughs> it is very close you know and i'm full reserve banking here <laughs> i don't have to worry about these problems yes it's weird right i mean the coiners are so optimistic because like okay you know like none of your problems affect me really i mean they affect my neighbors which sucks and i want to help them but like yeah not me directly i sometimes sit back and try and imagine what my life would have been like over the last three four five years if i had not found bitcoin just trying to think about you know where i would be today just psychologically you know put aside the financial aspect I just think about psychologically where i would be if i had had to go through all of the fiat stuff that i've seen over the last five years as a fiat user rather than enjoyer who just sits on the sideline and laughs at them uh, and laughs at the people using this idiotic technology and the criminals who uh, take advantage of it to destroy people's lives. And I mean, it's, it's tragic, it's sad, it's devastating to watch the scam unfold, but it's an entirely different impact on your life when you are just protected from it. And this was true for me when I was in Lebanon because all of the shenanigans that the banking system and the central bank and the government were doing over there. Again, it's all a spectator sport for me because I have Bitcoin, because I don't play your stupid games. I'm not part of your stupid fiat system. I haven't downloaded your fiat software. I use all of the fiat institutions as just simple tools that can't really hurt me. I use them when I need them, but I don't really rely on them. And so when bad things happen in all the fiat world, I'm 
protected and it, it it's very different but imagine what it, what it would be like like yeah i would be very depressed i would be very very stressed i'd be very angry all the time and i'd have a very bleak vision of the future like there's no way out of this there's no way out of this it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and they keep digging into those problems and of course the the, the problem with the way that fiat works you know it's it's, it's not just like a regular pl- problem there are problems out there in the world and with problems, you know, intelligent people, all right, well, you know, I'm driving my car in a certain way. There seems to be a problem with the car. Let's figure out what the problem is. Let's fix it. That doesn't work with government because government has a money printer backing every problem. So you may figure out, all right, what this is the problem. This is what we need to do. What are you going to do? How are you going to convince the money printer to stop making this problem? That's that's really the issue. And that's, that's what brings uh, people to despair. And that's what that's why when you talk to fiat people, you see that they're just so burdened because, yeah, they're watching that news and they're not watching it as spectators. You know, like they're, they're, they're in the game. It's like you're watching a movie about a tragedy and they're in that tragedy. They're watching it unfold and it's affecting their life. And it's terrible. I mean, it's slavery. It really is. Like, and, and, you know, like they managed to make it very cozy, right? I mean, like, you know, like life in, 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 in first world countries is, is really like amazing, right? Like it feels amazing. If you give up your freedom, if you do this, if you do that, you know, like the problem is like people can make the mental arrangement sort of like compartmentalize like their, their freedom versus like, you know, realities around them and like the fact that their kids are getting poisoned with seed oils. Like, I was trying to, to, you know, like get my, my kids like treats and things that like, you cannot find, dude, dried fruit now has seed oils on it. I mean, it's dried fruit. Why does it have seed oils? I'm trying to buy raisins. Like, you know, it's crazy. Like, no, but it really just goes to show, right? The insanity of this. And so, like, if you apply that sort of like same method, to everything else that you have around you, right? The, the, the quality of the water, you know, there's fluoride in it. Like there's chlorine on it. Like why well, it's just fucking water, you know, like just, just put it through a filter. Like, and then you don't have all the other crap in it. Like we, we made so many compromises in the name of like a, a, a safer existence. Right. And I put that in between quotes that like, we are now to a point where essentially like, just like being poisoned inside a prison, right. That, that looks nice. And, and, you know, and Bitcoin sleep, Sleep at night technology, right? Like, I mean, if you, if you, if you already took the, the red pill and, and you sort of like started down this rabbit hole, I mean, you just sort of start seeing and seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. And you, you can't see the amount of damage that's been happening because, you know, this Fiat Maxis, you know, do all this shit to your food, to your kids, to, to the world, right? But, but at least you get to step out and, and sort of like, you know, like, and, and find what best fits you, right? If that's a life in the country to wait us out, if it's like moving countries to find a better, like a last worst sort of society to live in, it's, uh, it's, it's also not a, an easy choice, right? I mean, as we saw with COVID, I mean, they were able to block borders everywhere. So it's tricky. Uh, but Bitcoin does does help a lot, at least with the anxiety. Um, you know, if you if you turn on TV, I don't know why people do that, but you know, can you imagine just watching all that news about everything is a catastrophe, everything's gonna end, and everybody's gonna die tomorrow? Like, what does that do to you? Like, I mean, you wear a mask outside today because you're afraid of COVID. There is people still doing that. They still are. It's amazing. It's 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 amazing. I mean, I think fear is just such a powerful emotion, and the invention of mass media has been an absolute catastrophe for humans in this regard when it comes to fear, because the ability to just instill it in so many people and then let them 
fester amongst each other and let these ideas brew amongst them and then develop the social dynamic of the more you care about this crazy, fearful thing, the better of a person you are. I mean, we'd always heard about those things in you know, the previous episodes of Hysteria when a whole village would go crazy and decide to lynch someone because she's a witch or whatever. And you thought, well, you know, this was people before. They didn't have science. They believed in ridiculous things. And then 2020 comes along and you see people you thought were intelligent just completely freak out and lose their mind over. I mean, you broke Taleb, right? <laughs> you broke Taleb. <laughs> like he couldn't handle it. Um, <laughs> it's it's fascinating. Like, you know, I think it's fair for people to to have fear people to to take their time and and sort out like their truths and 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 how they want to sort of like uh, deal with the new emergency or whatever right but the problem is that like these things now become identity right and, and like it's crazy it's like it's okay for people to not know and and sort of figure the shit out right like in but then eventually like it's actually figured it out there's no question about that is a scam and, and but but then like people now it's their identity is to wear a mask <laughs> like it's crazy. There's certain demographics here. I don't want to be a dick and mention them, but there's certain demographics here that like you can identify them by the fact that they're both wearing a mask. Like and and it's like it, and it's like almost a hundred percent of the cases in the the region I'm in. It's one hundred percent. No, I'm gonna identify them. It's one hundred. It's one hundred percent fiat users. I'm not afraid to call them out. <laughs> there you go. Um, Bitcoin protects you from losing your mind. I think it's it, it's really if if you're not a Bitcoiner, if you're not a Bitcoiner and you're really skeptical about Bitcoin, I think you owe it to yourselves to ask yourself why is it that so many Bitcoiners in 2020 didn't go along with the hysteria. I think simply asking yourself that question, trying to figure out why was Bitcoin Twitter the only place in the world where there was an actual, uh, well, you know, in 2020, it wasn't like everybody was skeptical of this stuff. Resistance. Uh, but there were people who were skeptical. Yeah. And we were getting abused and we were getting hurled insults at us. We were getting all these crazy hysterical people calling us all kinds of <laughs> horrific names. I remember just how much people were freaking out back then. March 2020, I mean, I think... I'll always remember it. This was just me sitting there and just being, why is everybody? I think you were pretty much the first to call COVID a scam that yeah, I know. January of. January 31, like I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that the World Health Organization was lying. And then the question is, how are they lying? <laughs> like they yeah, we don't know are. what's going on. <laughs> Which direction? Is this worst or is this better? Right? Like they're well, definitely lying. It's definitely in the direction of worse. <laughs> they're always lying to make it worse. If they were always trying to like make it worse. It's definitely they're trying to make it worse. Just figure out what is actually going on. What is the extent of their lying? No, but you know what's funny? They lie they lie about Ebola saying that it's better. Like and that's something that actually kills fucking people. <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I think with Ebola it's the same thing. I think with Ebola it's the same thing. Like I think it's just every every year when a few weird infections and cases are located in a certain place, this is a massive cash cow for the World Health Organization. Yes. So they want to blow it up. So every couple of years there's always you know, this pig flu and um, bird flu and 
all kinds of different things. And this one was a big one, and and they had been laying the groundwork for hysteria for a very long time, and then people just bit. And I think it's a big part of it is just people are demoralized and um, brainwashed and very. People don't have something to to also hold to, right? I mean, like you know, religion was was deprecated. Right. I mean, it's no longer a, a mainstream sort of like item of of like comfort, you know, believe or don't believe that's none of my sort of business. But just generally speaking, it's like you don't have this old method of people to find peace in the unknown. Right. Because, listen, people shouldn't have to have a fucking Ph.D. in medicine or in finance to be able to live their lives. Right. <laughs> like, it's crazy. So so like. And, and, you know, and everything is so complicated now. So they don't have a place to just, I don't know, just fucking go and pray and like, you know, I'm, please make me okay, right? Like, and I'm going to survive if I'm good, right? Like, okay, great. Person does not lose their mind, right? Like they have something. Uh, and, and then like, you know, half of the population is divorced. So like they don't have a partner, right? To sort of like go find some comfort there either, right? Like they don't have kids. You know, maybe they have a dog, right? <laughs> hopefully like you know like maybe they have a cat but like you know like there's only so many cats and dogs and strollers they're gonna help you feel better about yourself it, it's hard man people are alone yeah. and scared uh and and people who are alone like are very scarable by governments Absolutely. too right you know you're single fat you know in a basement somewhere eating pizza and watching porn and playing video games, right? I mean, the world's going to end any day now, so what do you have to look forward yeah, to? Yeah, absolutely. And um, getting scared about something gives you meaning. That's the neat thing. Yeah, I mean, you're part now of this scare group, right? Like, you're part of the... It creates an in-group where there wasn't one before, right? Like, you're now sort of, like, part of a new religion. You're the scared of COVID religion, and you can sort of trade numbers on how many people died, <laughs> like, with COVID. And, you know, like... <laughs> You can trade mask ideas and shit. I still remember like it was funny in the beginning of COVID because like I actually have had PPE training and I'm making a thread about the, the masks in the very early days. And I'm like, you guys really don't understand how the shit works. Like here's the actual science of masks and shit. <laughs> like you have to have these things that go in and there is no holes and what Pro COVID or not COVID. I mean, none of this is new. <laughs> It's like none of it. Anyways, and now people wear like fucking like fabric face diapers outside to protect themselves against like the invisible yeah, flu. It's been ridiculous. But listen, uh, let's let's switch yes. gears a little bit. I wanted to talk about social media. You've been active on Noster. Before that, you were on Mastodon. Yeah. So we're all on Twitter all the time. And Bitcoiners have been trying to break up with Twitter for a long time. Uh, Mastodon was the first attempt. That's been aborted. I guess you've shut down the server in an instance that you've had running. I've aborted it. Yeah. Yeah. But what about Noster? <laughs> Sell us on Noster. What's the deal there? Okay. So maybe I'll show why Mastodon is idiotic and that will help. Uh, okay. So Twitter is fully centralized, right? You're essentially at the mercy of Elon's uh, uh, poop tweet of the day, right? Uh, he can turn you on or off. Well, on Mastodon, that was Rodolfo. So I could turn you on or off because it was my instance, right? And, and they, they sell that as if it's kind of decentralized, but it's not our instance because it had no moderation. It was blocked by every other SJW instance in the universe of Mastodon. So essentially, I was like, listen, we need a backup, right, to Twitter in case we all get kicked out of there. I want a place for Bitcoiners to go find each other. Even if Mastodon sucks, at least I'm running it. I'm the new benevolent dictator. So we had that running and Nostra comes about. 
Noster is fully decentralized, distributed, and also can be private. Uh, it's a very, very flexible uh, protocol. It's an open protocol. So your information can live in many relays and you don't have to agree. You can even run your own relay. As long as you're connected to other relays, you're probably in a good spot. It's kind of like the opposite of Bitcoin in that sense. Bitcoin has one source of truth, right? We have to be in that specific consensus or Bitcoin breaks. In Nostra is the complete opposite. You can be in any amount of 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 uh of consensus as long as you're sort of still using the same rules you can still talk to each other if you don't then fine you can also be in your own Noster network that's unrelated to the main network whatever but and you can also transport your id your id is just private key pairs like bitcoin so you can get your private key from one client to another and boom all your information shows up there if you connect to the same relays it's very cool so it, it's it's really growing and it works i did a, a great episode on my podcast episode 18 with uh with jack with uh fiat jeff and with uh jb55 uh we we go into depth about the network so if people want to get a get a proper sense of it listen to that it was worth it i think we have a candidate we have a great candidate it has trade-offs like everything else does but at least it is decentralized it is a kind of system where you do own your id uh and if you want a backup of your data there is ways of doing that so uh so we have a chance uh, it's pretty cool, and people are migrating. So I closed down Mastodon and and told everybody to go to Noster from from that, and people have. And it's also not doom and gloom there. There's no macro people. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, let me let me be a little bit skeptical. So I'm, I'll I'll be first of all, let me be honest, and then I'll be skeptical. Sure. The honesty is that I've uh, been extremely extremely swamped with finishing principles of economics over the last few months that I've just put everything else aside. It's a good thing. Every time you want to finish something, you know, you have to sacrifice everything else in your life for a few weeks in order for something to get done. That, that's, that's the right. only way that anything worthwhile ever gets done, at least with disorganized people like me. But so I decided to just basically not get distracted by anything. I've been really, really working very focused um, all the time. I'm just finishing this book, so I haven't looked into this. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I like the idea, and I think there's a very good concept there. Like once you've gotten into, a, once you've developed it into a protocol rather than a just a, a centralized service, then it becomes possible to uh, have a lot more freedom and robustness to the system without having to rely on a centralized service. We we see the problems with Twitter; it got politically captured. We see how much. You know, the recent revelation shows just how much government ha was involved in the censorship that was going on there. And the idea that in Austria, nobody can do that. Um, people can block you effectively. It's imagine, I guess, the, the way that would, the way that we could say it is that like everybody has a block button. Uh, it's a, imagine Twitter, but with no central authority and everybody just has a block button. But it's a very powerful block button. Yeah, you can block. You can even block whole relays if you don't want to, like to see it. Exactly. So it's a more powerful yes. block button. So like a, it's like Twitter giving you an option where, you know, block everybody who has ever tweeted the word Bitcoin. I don't want to ever hear about Bitcoin in my feed. And then that's it. it you can run your own feed algo if you want to. Like you can write your own algorithm and have your own exactly. feed. So remember, right, this is not a platform. This is a protocol. That's very important, right? You're not sitting on top of anybody's business. You just connect to people you want to connect that be servers or clients. And and the key thing here is Noster social media use is just a tiny little bit of things that you can do with it, right? We can replace stock, uh, uh, sub stock. There is already an application for that. It's called abla.news. It's amazing. <laughs> Boom, <laughs> like sub stock replaced, fully decentralized, right? Like, uh, and that's how you know it's a very powerful technology. 
Where it's like, it's just like very early days, just boom. You just, like, there was this huge money cow, right? That like you could do with like just having this technology that you created in centralized shit. And then comes this little protocol. It's like, boom, just displaces that. People are working on, on, on replacing GitHub so that you can have Git commits that like are through uh, Noster. People are replacing uh, GoFundMe. People are replacing like it, essentially any type of application that is sort of like broadcast like, right? That you're trying to send something to a lot of people, uh, Noster is a good candidate to replace. Sounds nice, but uh, why would people jump ship? Why would people leave the thing? Well, you don't have to leave. I still have Twitter. I still shit post there. Where else are you gonna dunk on uh, on an economist? Uh, you know, Twitter is great for that. But you know, I, I I try to like have sort of like different sort of approaches to even my tone. You know, we have this nascent community is kinder, uh, is more interesting, is higher signal on Noster. So like you know, like I I do less shit posting on Noster. There is like more interesting things we're talking about uh, in a different tone. Uh, I'm sure it'll get like eventually whatever, right? It's just gonna be so big, and we're back to the same sort of tone and things. But like, but it's nice now because it is sort of like kinder and higher signal because you don't have so many idiots sort of bumping the same feed, right? So, so yeah, I mean, like, you, if anything, I think everybody should try because it's zero cost to try. And the other thing is, it's good to have a backup, right? Because if you don't build a a sort of an audience, right? A, a network somewhere else and Twitter kicks you out, which has happened to so many of us, you, you know, like you're going to arrive naked at the next place, right? So it's nice to have a, a place, a fallback place and sort of build a little bit of a community there as well so that you have a backup. Yeah. The, the, this is the kind of winning case. I think the problem with all of the kind of other uh, social media, I mean, we, we, we've seen a million replacements for Facebook and a million replacements for Twitter come and go all the time. And they just don't pick up because there's switching costs and everybody's already on Twitter and you want to be where everybody else is. And I think this is a little bit different because this can play the long game. If you know, if if you and I built an alternative to Twitter that was centralized, that's going to cost a lot of money. And it's going to require a lot of funding. We're going to have a runway. We're going to have a certain amount of money. We're going to need to hit certain milestones. And if we don't hit those milestones, we can't keep the lights on. We can't keep the servers going. We can't keep. Well, there's no more VC money. Yeah, now there's no more VC <laughs> money um, because you know it's all uh, it's all basically the Fed Ponzi anyway. It's all just uh, based on interest rates. So when funding dries up, when not enough people show up, you have to turn off the light. There's a there's a company there. There's a centralized headquarters. There's uh, you know they have to pay electricity bills. They have to pay server bills. And if not enough people are turning up to make it worth their while, they will shut down. Well, here there's no business. There's nobody to shut down. So, you know, maybe Nostra doesn't take off today, tomorrow, next year. Ten years from now, it'll still be kicking along. You know, it's, it's a little bit like Bitcoin in that regard, in that since it doesn't have a centralized authority, you can't really kill it. And so over time, it just gains users. But there's no there's no runway. Uh, the runway is infinite, basically, because you know there's there's no critical cutoff point where we need to have this many users by that date, or else this falls apart, or else we can't do it. No, we just keep adding more people, so that adds more features, more development. And I think the basic idea, and I think you know Jack knows a thing or two about social media. You know, he's uh, one of the founders of Twitter. I think he's onto something. You can smell it. I mean, you know, like he talks about some of the stuff on the pod that we did. Like, 
it's it's like it, it if you just live in it a little bit you start to sort of like smell it right there is something here right it's kind of like bitcoin once you just put a little bit of time and you get over some of your old sort of like biases and ways of thinking because this is new it's going to bamboozle everybody right the same way bitcoin bamboozled everybody on the beginning bitcoin is super hard for people to understand still is and all this is sort of like another sort of paradigm change on how to build a protocol and how to build a network so you know, it has that vibe. It has many trade-offs as well, right? Like Bitcoin did. It, a great heuristic. You offend every expert. So like Bitcoin offended cryptographers. You offended privacy people. You offended finance people. You offended economists. Every single specific field was very triggered by Bitcoin because Bitcoin makes a trade-off on like every single kind of category, right? Nasser does the same. Right, you offense everybody too. So there is already a Nostra derangement syndrome building up, which is fantastic. Um, oh wow, I have not seen that. Yeah, and and you know, look, it's why are people upset? Well, you know, because it doesn't do it in the way that they think it should do. It doesn't do it. In, you know, it's it's the, it's not build here syndrome, right? The cool thing is, I mean, you know, it's working, uh, and it's working great, and it's building. It's being built faster than Bitcoin was built on the early days. In my opinion, it can only exist the way it is because of, of Bitcoin, right? So, you know, Lightning is integrated. You know, you have this sort of similar mentality on things, uh, you know, payments instead of advertisement and things like that. So that helps bootstrap servers and things. You know, we've grown 100x since three months ago. It's 500,000 active users now. So half a million users active on it. You know. The, a couple of weeks ago, Twitter was super quiet and everybody was asking, like, where's everybody? Well, everybody was on Oster, which was kind of fun. Uh, you know, of course, the macro shit happened, the bailout happened. Everybody's back on Twitter sort of like dunking on, on economists. But, it, you know, it, it's going to get boring and then people go back to, to like their, their old ways. Uh, there is a conference happening in Costa Rica in a few days, the first one for Noster. I, I'm bullish on it. Uh, listen, you know, if this is the winning solution or not it's not like it's impossible to tell but this one is a very it's a great great contender so uh so i'm having fun with it excellent yeah now coming out of uh, my cave where i was writing the book and i'm beginning to want to dip my toes into it and see how it works so i'll, I'll be joining you soon you know you could start uh you could start uh publishing your newsletter on it uh, the pub, the the non-paid, the the free one. Publish on on Abla. News. Uh, with your Noster public key pair, and then uh, at least nobody can take that down ever. And uh, and and it's a start. You know, you don't have to start with the Twitter use of it. You could start with the newsletter use of it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I might uh, do that. Uh, when does the book come out? I want to read it. I can't wait for a good principal book about economics. The book is uh, basically we're in, uh, you know, we've done the layout. Then after you do the layout, you have to send it to the indexer. The indexer goes through the final layout and makes the um, adjustments. So tomorrow, the layout person will add the index and the day after. So March 16, March 17, it'll go to the printers. I expect it to be out um, end of April sometime, early May. Uh, it should be out. When, when does the audio version come out? Is it going to come out same time? Probably, yeah. I'm recording it now. I'm going to be recording my, myself. I've already done three chapters. Nice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> that, you know, it, it really is cool when the author re, write, like reads their book. Like, it, it really is that special. 
Uh, some of them put also some commentary in between chapters, which is really cool. If you ever read the Gibbons book, that the runner guy, uh, I forget his his name. Uh, he he has some interesting commentary in between chapters. Really, really enjoyable. You know, I honestly I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks myself. I'm just uh, I prefer to read. But everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people who listen to audiobooks keep telling me that they want the author to do it. It never crossed my mind why I would want to do it. I thought, you know, an actor would be able to do this much better than me. But apparently, uh, people like when the author do it. So I'm doing the whole thing this time. I think it should be out. You know, I, I, it'll be out. You could buy it on my website in probably around the same time as the book is out. So late April, early May. But if you wanted to get it on Audible, that's probably going to take another couple of months. If you want to, uh, because getting it listed on Audible and downloaded and stuff can take some time. Yeah, no, I'm too dyslexic to read books fast enough, so I, I need the two X in my ears uh, while I'm like doing yeah. chores. <laughs> I don't know; it doesn't really work for me. I have to, I, I have to have the screen in front of me, and I have to, I, and I only read on screens. Actually, I generally don't read much on paper books. I like holding paper books; I like the idea. But when I'm going to take notes, I like to read on a PDF on a screen and then uh, take notes on the side. That's how it usually works for me. All right, well, um, I think we've overstayed our welcome to your time. Or you should have. You told me you had a hard stop about uh, 20 minutes ago, but you've indulged us. Uh, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, it's fun. It's been a while, man. Thanks, man. I'm sorry that your podcast is going to be shorter today because of mine. <laughs> we have a long list, so uh, we'll, we'll go as far as we as as far as we we can go. But yeah, no, I got I gotta get you to come also read the software news. It's fun to have uh, people who don't read the software news reading the software news. <laughs> yeah, I should do it someday. I will. All right, you have it. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rodolfo, for joining us. And uh, keep on uh, shipping. Keep on uh, sending the stuff out. It's inspiring to watch you just keep constantly putting stuff out and watch people lap it up. And watching the entrepreneurial process develop in Bitcoin from scratch, where you know you went from... Um, you know, hey, let's make a wallet. Let's make this. Let's make backend software. Let's make let's make a credit card. Oh, well, maybe we make a, an open doc. Maybe we make a wallet. Maybe we make a BlackBerry. Watching this iteration is such an amazing part of economics. And like when you study economics and you study the role of entrepreneurship from the Austrian perspective, it's it's really all about the market process. Entrepreneurship is not something that comes from the top down. And discoveries don't just come from scientists sitting in labs. It's the market process. The reason, you know, the, the, what determined the shape of your uh, latest device is the market process that you've gone through over the years, the feedback that you've had from your customers, the things they like, the things that they don't like, and watching that unfold and following it along over the years with uh, CoinKite has been very inspiring. And um, I wish you all the best. Thanks, man. Uh, you know, thanks for the pod you do. It's uh, in the education you provide. You know I'm the number one fan of the Bitcoin Standard, probably the 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 biggest giver of that book in the history of that book. Uh, it, it, there there is no better way of orange peeling people who can read. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Cheers. <laughs>